All right, now tonight we're going to move on with our study of the king of the penitential psalms, Psalm 51. I've got some notes down here because I know not all of you were able to be with us last week, so, and I'm seeing you in front of me right now, so we'll go over this, get you reoriented. Uh, this is part three of our look at the penitential psalms, but it's actually the second Wednesday of looking at Psalm 51. I'll just kind of run through this. Many of you already will remember this pretty readily, but um, there are seven penitential psalms. Penitential has to do with being sorry for sin and repenting before the Lord, okay? There's seven of these in the book of Psalms. Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, and Psalm 130. Um, Psalm 51 is by far the most significant for a number of reasons. Let me just read a summary from my background in interpretive notes from last Wednesday's study. Everybody's got the handout in front of them, right? Okay, so you can read along with me. I'll just read it aloud. Psalm 51 is by far the most well-known and poignantly powerful of these seven penitential psalms in the Psalter. The Psalter is just a fancy way of referring to the, you know, book of Psalms, okay? Um, Psalm 51 ranks among the top two or three best known and most recited Psalms by Christians across the ages of Christian history, faith, and worship. In fact, and I made more of a deal of this last week, I'll just repeat this summary. In fact, Psalm 51 is very likely the most recited Psalm in the history of Christian worship, devotionals, and prayers perhaps even far surpassing either Psalm 23 or Psalm 100. I mean, and those are big time Psalms, okay? Um, that historic status for Psalm 51 is consistent with the fact that this king, that's just my title, I'm calling him the king, okay? The king of the penitential Psalms is without question one of the most amazingly earnest and at the same time eloquent pieces of religious writing in all of human history. Even if you weren't a believer, you would have to acknowledge that. Psalm 51 is theologically deep at a level most people never dare to go, and at the same time is unrelenting, unrelentingly intense as the man after God's own heart. That's the title that the Lord gives to David. You'll remember, that's what he tells Samuel back in 1 Samuel. Like, I found a man after my, my own heart. This is the one I want, David. You're going to go anoint him. As the man after God's own heart seeks God's grace, and David's own personal transformation. Further, for Christian worship and personal piety, Psalm 51 is by far most often highlighted of, of any of the Psalms um, as the model par excellence for true and efficacious prayer of confession and repentance. In other words, that's fancy language. What that means is if you want to study one Psalm or one segment of the scripture about serious repentance, if you know you need God's forgiveness, Psalm 51 would be at the top of the list. You want to read through, reflect upon, and pray through Psalm 51. It's deep. It's expansive. It is the confession of sin prayer in, in all the Bible at the top of the list. Okay. All right. So this classic model penitential psalm combines lament and petition but with respect to distress, not primarily because of external enemies. Remember, I told you, I think this is so interesting. We've, we've studied all these Psalms, you know, both the major ones we looked at, and then when I take you all over to side Psalms, and you'll see David complaining all the time about all his enemies and these bad people and why do the evil prevail and all this kind of stuff. Oh, Lord, deliver us or deliver me from my foes. Even my friend, the one who shared my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So I'm 41. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, the problem is not those guys out there, right? And now all of a sudden, the problem is not, oh, pestilence has come upon us, or please, please, Lord, deliver me from the pandemic of the COVID-219, right? That, we're not talking about external stuff. We're talking about, as we said, as somebody said last week, we have met the enemy and the enemy is us, right? It's internal, wow, you know, so, so this is a lament about me, <laughs> you know, it's not about all these other things out there. 
Here, David is desperately aware that his deadly foes are not external, but his own heart, spirit, sin, guilt, and other consequences. So in this lament and petition, David seeks deliverance not from my enemies or false friends. Um, out there, sorry, I got typos in here that I didn't correct. Out there, but from his own sin nature. His own sin, let me clarify, those are two different things. They're related. He's got a sin nature, and he has sins that he commits. Okay? He's born into sin. We're all under the fall of original sin, right? So it's not just that we commit sins. We are sinners, like Paul says. You know, I'm the chief among sinners. Paul is not saying, and of course, that's a, that's a really, he's highlighting that, but Paul's not saying, well, let me just count up the sins. I guess I kind of committed 100 a day, and, uh, you know, Martin only committed 95 and Jim only committed 48 so I guess he's not counting up individual acts when he says that he's saying deep within my soul you know I'm tainted I'm ill I've got a cancer called sin okay so uh, you've got his own sin nature his own sin and uh, from the ultimate and most horrifying potential consequences of that sin being severed from God's holy presence and spirit and as we pointed out, and as Nancy highlighted, because uh, in the women's ministry right now, you've been studying about uh, Saul and David, right? I mean, I think that was in your first month study and the one y'all are doing um, uh, right now. And, and it goes through the kings and the fact that, you know, David has seen firsthand, and Nancy was talking about this, right, Nancy? David has seen firsthand, when David is there to do this soothing music, he sees the evil spirits you know, taking over Saul, God's spirit is gone, right? So David is horrified at a bunch of different levels with this stuff. So uh, there he is. David truly um, comes in the fear of the Lord and turns himself totally over to God's mercy. And whatever God chooses to bring a radical change to David's life, heart, and spirit. Remember, radical means to the roots. David knows he needs this. Okay, as we said last week, 2 Samuel 12, 13 is the lead-in to this confession. I have sinned against the Lord. Okay, so let's go back and look at that again a little bit. I went ahead and poked at that a little bit. Remember that David's context of having sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba and then murdering her husband, Uriah the Hittite, uh, and then lying and covering up the whole thing. This is, what, this is, this is all over David, okay? Let's go back into this. So uh, Psalm 51 says at the superscription, a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Well, how did he go into Bathsheba? Well, he went into Bathsheba, not over at her place, but at his place, right? So, so let's, let's look back. We read through 2 Samuel 11 and a little in the opening part of 12 last time. But here's what, I, so I'm, I'm not going to read through the whole thing again, but I did kind of continue to kind of reflect upon this. And so I've got some notes for you here. We should remember that long before this major sin compilation that we're reading about in 2 Samuel 11, David was in major league, consistent, habitual sin pattern. Okay. This did not spring up out of the blue what happens with Bathsheba. So let me point this out to you. Uh, we should remember that long before David's sin regarding God, Bathsheba, Uriah, David's troops, remember he sins against all of them. Because he didn't just sin against Uriah, right? Is Uriah the only guy that got killed when they stormed the walls of Rabbah Ammon? No, a bunch of other people got killed too, right? And, and what about, would you like to be the uh, would you, you know, Joab, by the way, is a total mess. He's a big, big time center. But still, David put Joab in the position of ordering this stuff. And various other officers had to carry out the orders, right? I mean, David has, David has sinned against all kinds of people in this. You know, we, anyway, you got all that kind of stuff. David's troops, Israel. Uh, there were major sin issues like this. 
Okay. Deuteronomy 17, 17. Talking about what the king has to do. You're going to have a king, but God says this, okay? And he, Israel's king, shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest he turn his heart away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Now, that's pretty clear in God's law, isn't it? Is the king supposed to have many wives? You don't have to be a, an intense biblical interpreter or intricate, you know, reader of scripture to under, what does this say? Is he supposed to have many wives? Okay. Second um, Samuel 5, 13. This is long before Bathsheba. We get this summary statement. Second Samuel 5, 13. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron and more sons and daughters were born to David. So when David arrives as the big king in Jerusalem, he already has too many wives before he even gets to Jerusalem. I mean, he's already violated this, okay, before he ever gets to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, what does he do? He takes more. Nancy. No, Saul's dead and gone. There is no, and, and notice, and I'm going to pound this issue, this word, okay, he takes. It's not like, well, you know, his best friend died, and so he, he went ahead and took, you know, received her into his household so he could protect her. He's going around taking. Do y'all see what I'm saying? Okay. He is taking what he wants. Okay. And he's building up his little empire. Um, so notice my summary here. David takes for himself what he wants. That's what it says in 2 Samuel. Y'all look at this before you turn the page. Let me, this is important. <laughs> That's why I got it down here on the bottom. Okay, y'all see that. That is 2 Samuel 5.13. Notice the word. The verb, it's a big verb in Hebrew, lachach. In Genesis, in Genesis chapter two, God takes from the man, Adam, a side bone or a rib. Does God take the rib for himself, for his own entertainment and pleasure? Because it's the same verb there in Genesis two. What does God do? God gives, God produces. So God takes from the man and gives to the man the one. Y'all remember this, right? In Genesis 2. But all of a sudden we get to Genesis 3. And I, I mentioned this last time that the woman, Eve, sees, focuses on and sees how beautiful and attractive the fruit is. And she takes. Okay, now notice. This is the same verb. The woman takes from the fruit of the tree. What is David doing all the time? He sees these women and he adds to his, well, you could call it household. We might call it a harem. Okay, right? Because all of a sudden he has a bunch of wives and concubines. Now, by the way, who's going to far out exceed David in this exercise? Solomon. Solomon's going to make David look like an amateur. But according to, according to Deuteronomy 17, 17, we've already really crossed the line here with David. Like, and he keeps going over the line again and again because he takes what he wants. Now, does that sound like a man who is really after God's own heart right now? And this goes on for years leading up to the Bathsheba. So this thing, yeah. So I just wanted to highlight this one. This Bathsheba thing doesn't come out of the blue. He's used to taking what he wants. And God has, you know, allows David in this process to sin. Okay. Do you think God does God strike us dead the minute we sin, by the way? No, because if, if he did, like we'd all none of us would be here tonight. I couldn't be saying, hey, are y'all planning to be with me on in December? Because we'd, you know, it'd be like nobody'd be here. My little um, iPad would be here and it'd be like, well, where's Martin? Where's everybody else? We'd all be zapped out of existence, right? Okay. Um, later in 2 Samuel 11, now you can turn the page. 
Later in 2 Samuel 11, dilemmas for David in his sin and unfaithfulness include these. You know, we looked at this last time. David remains in Jerusalem. That is a big dilemma. Is it good for you to be idle and to get yourself bored and looking for trouble? Is that a good move to make? Now, that's a dilemma that's not an apparent dilemma on its face, but David hangs out. You know, he's supposed to go like the kings are supposed to go to war, and he hangs out. He hangs back in Jerusalem, and he starts walking around and looking. Is it a good thing when we're used to, when we're kind of addicted to taking what we want to walk around and look? No, it's going to lead to destruction, right? So David's walking around, and he looks, you know, he's walking around on his roof, and he looks, and he sees Bathsheba, and She's beautiful, man, just like the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he sees her and he wants her just like the woman wanted the fruit in the garden, right? So uh, then verse four, now women, oh, wait a minute, sorry, Numbers 1539, I threw this in for you too. Does God have a high view of our looking around and desiring and grabbing what we want? No, how, how does God, and it shall be a tassel for you. Remember how I told, I, I've taught you about how Jesus has the tassels, right? That you're supposed to wear, right? Uh, the zitzit, right? Y'all remember this, right? The woman touches, okay. So, um, and it shall be a tassel for you to look at. You're supposed to have this tassel, right? Because why? Remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them and not to follow your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So where do our own heart and eyes lead us? If we're not focused on the Lord and his word, we become prostitutes. I mean, this is not John Calvin writing this. This is in the Bible, right? Don't follow your heart and your eyes. You will get yourself into big trouble. Now, I, speaking of worldviews, that is a totally countercultural thing to say right now. But this is what the Bible says. So and here's David doing this up on his roof. Y'all get this, right? You're going to whore after the desires of your heart and your eyes, when you're looking around. That looks good to me. Wow, I need to have that. Yeah. So um, now, so he takes the woman, right? Oh yeah, so by the way, he takes the woman, of course, obviously, right? He actually sends his servants to take her to him. He's, so, he's such a big shot, he doesn't have to go do it himself. He sends them. She comes to him. Uh, he has sex with her. And then... Women, Bathsheba gets one little line in this whole story, but it is a big line. She doesn't mess around. She doesn't write poetry to David. She doesn't try to cover for David. Verse four, and the woman conceived and she sent to David and said, and a key, ha I'm pregnant. kind of like a telegram isn't it she doesn't write a long note does she do we need to say anything more that is her one line in this in this story would you guys like to say more to david right now maybe some of you would that's all she she says basically so it's obviously implied what are you going to do about this we got a serious problem here david and by the way she's not gonna she's not gonna go off and hide and have the baby and not put David on the spot. You see, she's communicating that by this one little message to him. I am pregnant. Um, then all of a sudden the man of actions, and David has been a great a man. I mean, he's a man of actions. So he goes into action, right? All these kind of actions, but this time the man of action is not very effective. I mean, he gets stuff, but he gets what he does not want, right? Right and left, everything happens to him bad. Um, so then we get to um, Nathan coming to David. Okay, after the story, went through the whole story. You remember it turns out really badly, right? Gets murdered after David tries to, you know, fool him in to go in to see his wife a couple times and Uriah won't do it. Uriah's the man of faithfulness, David is not. Okay, so then we get to Nathan coming to David. Second Samuel 12, four. He's, Nathan's telling this parable. This is one of the great parables of the Bible before you ever get to Jesus. 
he's telling this parable about this poor little guy who had one little lamb that he treated like his own daughter, poor little man. And the rich man lives next door with all kinds of flocks. And uh, now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take, notice that, he was unwilling to take one of his own flock. I've already got you right, resonating with that word, right? Um, uh, to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took, y'all see that there? This is like the big verb, or one of the big verbs of this whole passage of scripture now. Y'all picking up on this, right? The rich man doesn't take from his own, he takes the one little ewe lamb that's like a daughter to the poor man next door to him. So he takes the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Uh, verse five, then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he goes on about this and how the man's going to have to repay, you know, fourfold and all this kind of stuff. And verse seven, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I've done all this stuff and I've given you everything you ever wanted and you do this. So here's a big dilemma. Leading back us back towards Psalm 51. There was no sacrifice under the Old Testament law for intentional, sorry, that's supposed to be a comma. I'm really having trouble with this, that my laptop's not working. I'm having to connect this scroller thing to it. Uh, Old Testament law for intentional premeditated sin. There is no, let me repeat this. There is no way for David to make a sacrifice to approach the Lord for these kinds of sins that he's committed. And there wouldn't be even for one, even if David had done just one of these things that he's done. But let's go through the list. David lusted after another man's wife. Is that a major league sin under God's law? Yes, it's not a minor sin. It's a major sin. David lied to her husband, a royal covenant soldier and brother of David's, who's fighting for David and for the God of Israel. Fighting for the God of Israel. David has lied to this man. We're about to get to something else David's done, but is that a major sin under the law? Absolutely. David ordered others to lie on his behalf. Is that a major sin? Yeah. And ordered them to commit murder with David against this man's, this woman's husband. Are we talking about major multiplicity of sins? Yes, absolutely. David continued to cover up all the above sins instead of ever repenting. Did you ever read in this story that David paused, stopped, and said, let me pray about this. Let's open our scroll over here and read the law and reconsider my situation. Do you ever read that in, in this passage? No, no, no. David just keeps trying to figure things out for himself. And okay. Um, and David then, on top of this all, takes Bathsheba and the son as his. When Bathsheba becomes pregnant, whose wife is she? Uriah. Whose baby is that? I'm not talking about biologically. I'm talking about under the law. Uriah. Uriah's. Who presumes, though, to claim the baby? <laughs> David. Because David takes what he wants. And I mean, we could keep going, but those are, that's a pretty major list, right? There is nothing under the law, under the sacrificial system that David can do. Okay, so he's committed this treasure trove of sins <laughs> as you outlined in this particular episode, plus whatever was behind. Yet Nathan was the one that confronted him with this little parable. Yes. And, and I guess, you know, made him own up to it. I wonder, I mean, was that was that part of what had to happen for David for him to be able to then go into this this song petition? That's I mean, you know, in other words, had he not been called out by Nathan, would he just have continued on? That's what we would pretty much in 
prefer, let's put it this way, short of an act of God to discipline David severely, we get the impression David's just on this, once he's king in Jerusalem, he's really, although, and by the way, speaking of the thing that Jim is asking this question about, did it take Nathan, if Nathan had not stepped in to confront David, would David have just kept going on with this cover-up and further sins? And the implication is probably, what do y'all think? Well, it seems that it looks that's his response. What in verse 13 when he said, I have sinned against the God? Yeah. That's that's when it clicked. That's it, when it, it and, and until Nathan does this. And uh, so um, another thing too, let's just bear in mind. With all this sin that I've outlined, David is the supreme worshiper in all Israel. Back to your question and kind of point last week, Jim, about like, you know, like ritual worship and stuff like this. Hey, David is, um, David's very involved. I mean, he, he brings, you know, the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, dances before the Ark of the Covenant. And by the way, the Lord is pleased with David's praise, right? But the Lord's got some serious concerns with David at the same time. But my point is, Jim, not only that, I mean, David probably could have said words of confession for all I know, but he's not really repenting of this, is he? Right. And interestingly, that's where it starts, not to still where you're going, but, you know, he begins the whole thing by asking God to change him. Change him. Because David realizes, I'm putting on a show, right? Apparently. And, and on top of that, like I said, it really is a legal dilemma. I mean, legal in the sense of under the law, because David has no way out of this. I mean, David has no way out of this. You do have, you know, the Day of Atonement once a year. Yeah, you do have the Day of Atonement once a year when, um, you know, supposedly all the sins from the previous year are taken away. Uh, but there's nothing personally that David can do. And this kind of brings up the question, like... Um, you know, let's just put yourself in David's shoes or sandals. Um, if, if you committed adultery and killed people off and, you know, implicated all kinds of other people in your cover-up and stuff like that, and, and I told you, well, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, would that be just, would you just be fine? Okay, whatever. Or would you still be struggling with the issue a little bit? Right? But so two points on this, David has not been, really been struggling with the issue apparently but but when it suddenly hits him you do have this dilemma that going through all this history that i just outlined it's like if if david starts like even reflecting on some of this stuff we've outlined he's like what am i going to do i mean yeah we got the day of atonement but i mean does that really cover me for <laughs> for all this and so um yeah david comes to as jim was saying comes to this realization i have to be changed right no sacrifice out there and no great act of worship and all these by the way david has done a ton of sacrifices for the lord i mean there's no question about it david has written some of the most beautiful worship songs in history to the lord does that cover his sin if if i give god enough money and worship him and sing solos and write music for him does that, is that kind of a, enough of a tit for tat on my sin for God? What do y'all think? No. No it's way. Amazing. One man <laughs> can do so much wrong and have so much good in him. Yes. Which is like why we always say, you know, David, like Nancy says, David gives us all hope <laughs> because he certainly commits grave sin. But, you know, and this gets back to, well, why, okay, so back to, and this kind of circles back to Jim's question too. It takes Nathan to come and tell this parable before David comes to, kind of starts to come to his senses. And you could say, why didn't, and David's been going on with some of this wife stuff and all this kind of taking stuff I've been talking about for years now. Why didn't God cut Saul that much slack? Well, he did cut Saul a lot of slack, number one. Number two, was Saul ever the man after God's own heart? No. Is, is God unfair 
God's just. Is there a difference between um, Saul and David? You could say, well, golly, Saul didn't have Nathan. Yeah, but who, whom did Saul have? Samuel, right? Now, is Samuel, does Samuel have the same level of finesse and artistry that Nathan does? No, apparently not. I mean, Nathan's really, I mean, this is incredible, this parable he, he spins out for Saul, for, for David. But nevertheless, Saul had Samuel, right? And God's like, you, you're, you're, you're never going to repent. It's over. I'm done with you. David repents. Um, God moves. Does God just kind of do the same story for every single individual who ever lives? No, he doesn't. David, so back to kind of Ernie's thing, David is incredible because he does all this great stuff for God, but he's also a grave sinner. And all of this God is using, remember the whole, the Old Testament in part is all a preparation, right? For God's ultimate gospel for us, which comes in the person of Jesus, right? And our hearts can only be truly transformed by the Holy Spirit imparted in us. And that is given to us fully through Jesus, right? Okay. So uh, any, any more questions on this before we get back into Psalm 51? Well, let's, okay. So David's done all these things. Remember, um, I could have broken this Psalm down for us in different ways, but this is a decent enough kind of little simple breakout. You got the invocation and initial petitions, verses one and two. The confessions of David, 3 through 6, petitions, 7 through 12, vows of praise, 13 through 19. Uh, we already I got into the verses 1 and 2 pretty heavily last time, so I won't go into this too much again. But remember, um, David is pleading with God because of God's mercy, Rahama, right? Rahamaka and his chesed his steadfast love, God's steadfast love, not David's. It's totally, and remember, I said this uh, last time, Exodus 34, six and seven, the most internally within the Old Testament quoted passage. I mean, it, gets, it reverberates through that God is merciful and abounding in steadfast love. And so David says, you know, Lord, you are merciful. And you abound in steadfast love. So please have mercy on me. Okay. So then look what, let, now notice. When David asks for forgiveness, does he just say, please forgive my sins? No, this gets back to what Jim started talking about. David has a ton of different ways to ask God, not just forgive my sins, but change me. Right? And David is really severe about his sin. Blot out. I mean, blot out. Wash me. Cleanse me. And, and he uses all these different terms for sin, right? Sin. Iniquity. I'm an evil person. It's not just, well, I committed a couple sins. It's not just some broad, well, I'm a sinner. I am, I'm full of iniquity. Do any of us ever really talk to God like that? I mean, when's the last time you talked to God about your iniquity? I'm an evil person, God. I'm full of evil. Help me. This is what David does. This is what he's talking about. So he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. I'm an evil person. And cleanse me from my sin. Um, and then getting into the main confessional thing here, three through six. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. All of a sudden, Jim, it is. <laughs> Until, by the way, did, did God have to use Nathan? Or if Nathan had chickened out and not gone? No, God could have done some other, but, but it, whatever, God was going to have to, you know, get David's attention. It's, it's obvious. And by the way, um, you know, all this other stuff hasn't gotten his attention, that, that all his plans have gone afoul, right? That didn't get his attention. 
you ever dealt with an addict before who, you know, you're like, well, surely they've hit the wall now and they don't hit the wall, you know, when they lose their job, when they crash their car, when this or that. Y'all ever dealt with somebody like that? I have. And it's like, okay, when are they going to hit the wall? Addicts have to hit the wall in this case, but it's interesting. Like all this other disastrous stuff doesn't, isn't David's wall. It's when Nathan comes to him and brings the word of the Lord to him. Anyway, so for I know my transgressions now, and my sin is ever before me now, apparently, you know, um, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Again, like we said last time, of course, David has sinned against Bathsheba. Of course, he's sinned against, uh, you know, all his soldiers who were in the field. Of course, he's sinned against Uriah, uh, most of all. And by the way, sinned against um, Bathsheba and her, her father and her family. How, how would you feel about this if you were Bathsheba's daddy? Would you be a big fan of David right now? Okay. So, I mean, David sinned against a ton of people, but far exceeding that is his sin against the Lord, right? Everything else pales in comparison to the fact that your sin, my sin, ultimately is a violation of God. If I hurt somebody else, it's a violation of God. So that's what this scripture confronts us with. This is the deepest theology on sin, really, in a lot of ways, in the entire Old Testament. Okay? Um, so uh, God is totally just. This is to acknowledge that, you know what, you, I, I deserve totally to be cast into hell. Okay, and you would be totally justified to do it. All your words against me are true, Lord. That's what David is saying. Then he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I was brought my birth, even though they put little white wraps around me. I was full of evil and deceit and my mom brought me forward in deceit. My dear old mom, she was a grave sinner. That's what David is saying. Now, that is not a popular message, <laughs> even in the church, right? But that, that's, that's the true theology, right? We're all under sin. We all need a savior, right? Okay. Um, but it wasn't easy once because, well, when I was a teenager, I did a couple of bad things. I was brought forth in sin. Okay. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So even though I'm evil, and even though my heart is prone to evil and sin, you teach my heart right things, okay? You bring light. So um, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I didn't even get to get to this to go back over it, but I mentioned this to you last time. Let me just tell you again. I, sorry, I haven't changed my typos either. But Leviticus and Numbers, in those passages that I have cited for you there, that deals with restoring a leper's house. They, with, with hyssop, by the way, hyssop is used, okay? So what David is saying is, I'm like a leper. I mean, I don't deserve to be in society with other people, and I need my whole house cleansed. And that's a really important connection David is making there. Because David's house is the house that God has promised the Messiah through. So that's a big statement right there. David is saying, please cleanse not just me, but by implication, my house. Because my house has been stricken like the house of a leper. And I need it cleaned out. That's what he's saying there with this reference to hyssop. It's not just some poetry that he's thrown in there. These are legal terms, okay, under the Old Testament. Then he says this. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What's a right spirit? A spirit of humility, right? 
seeking God and godly ways. I told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to do what? Do justice. What? Rightness, right? And walk humbly with your God. So that's that's what's going on here. Um, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because God totally would be right to do that at this point. Just like Saul, David's going to be subject to this. But he's begging the Lord not to do this. Because, by the way, if the Lord turns his face from you, that means the Lord not only is not blessing you anymore, the Lord's not hearing you. You're not under. And what is the ultimate being removed from the face of the Lord? Hell forever, right? The, the ultimate eternal absence of God's face is hell. So uh, he, he's, he's begging the Lord. Don't cast me away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So the salvation is from the Lord, right? Healing is from the Lord. And he wants to be restored to that joy. And a willing spirit. What does a willing spirit mean? What do you think a willing spirit means? Anybody? Zoom folks? Folks here in the fellowship hall, what a willing spirit mean? Do the will of God, right? Willing to do, right? To follow up with what God's... Yeah, yeah, what the spirit, responsive to the Holy Spirit doing what God says, okay? No, 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 that's already happened. Yeah, but but by the way, though, that's a, that's a good point. The superscription just highlights the adultery with Bathsheba, but when this is, is after everything, but that, like I said last week, this uh, fancy, the superscription kind of underplays it because it should say after committing adultery with Bathsheba, after lying and murdering and all. And, and then, by the way, failing to repent for a really long time. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And then he makes these promises, right? Now, is he bargaining with God? No, he's committing himself to God. This is the way I would read this. Okay. So. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Uh, what is blood guiltiness? Yeah, yeah, murder. Um, and then, and, and again... You got to understand, David is saying, like, for real, I'll sing your praises. Because David has been singing God's praises while he's, you know, like committing adultery and stuff. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's the ultimate lead worship leader, you know, kind of guy. But uh, he's been committing adultery and doing all this kind of stuff. So anyway, um, oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. What's happened to him here, though, see, is because Jim, he now actually knows his sin, he's no longer able to put on the show, apparently. I mean, you get the sense here that he really is not able to sing. Yeah, the, the interchange with Nathan was a light switch for him. Yeah, and so all of a sudden he can't put on the show. And you wonder even if he can't, like maybe he can't even sing. Like when he tries to sing, <laughs> it, there's nothing coming out. I mean, you can imagine that, right? Um, and then look, this is like, um, okay, this is big, like on the, the whole Micah thing, the Isaiah thing. This is... Um, and this is before these prophets write this stuff, right? But David, David has this insight. This is incredible prophetic insight. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. Right? Well, what do you want? You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So when we come before God truly broken and repentant contrite this is david's not just saying this this is the word of god now y'all understand this right this is a major promise in the bible 
that the one who is truly repentant, God will not reject. Now, there's a huge difference here. We don't have, we can go on this a little bit, okay? So there's a huge difference between, everybody with me? Between, okay, if, if I commit murder and they find my DNA and come and arrest me and I'm in prison and I'm really sorry because they caught me and I'm in prison and I'm asking God's help so that I won't be executed, is that a contrite spirit? Now, I'm sorry, right? But I'm sorry for the consequences that I've gotten myself into for my sin. David, by the way, I mean, he's the ultimate guy here, right? David, is David going to get arrested because of what he did to Uriah? No. So we have a clear, like, read on this. David is actually, for real, sorry. But y'all get the difference, right? And you can deal with people who say, um, I'm, you know, my wife, my wife left me and took the kids, so I'm really going to be a better person. I'm not going to beat her anymore. I'm sorry I beat her. But the, what I'm really dealing with is I'm trying to fix the consequences. Y'all get the difference here, right? Between actually spiritually repenting and being sorry because I've run into trouble. Okay. And what this is talking about, what this promise is for, is for people who truly, you know, Lord, go ahead. Take the house away from me. I mean, I, I would love it if my wife would return to me, but that's okay. I mean, and I will do time in prison. In fact, you can send me to the electric chair. I don't care, but all I want is your grace and forgiveness. Go ahead, they, you know, let them take me to the electric chair. But Lord, I need your forgiveness. That's a contrite heart, okay? That's somebody who's truly turning to the Lord. So um, a broken and contrite spirit, oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. There's kind of at least a couple different major interpretations of this last couple verses. One is these were added later to David's psalm by exiles. Because the Psalter, the book of Psalms, gets edited and re-edited and reshaped clearly through the exile period, okay? When, when the Jews are in Babylon, right? And they're looking back and saying, would you please remember your servant David and all this kind of stuff? You know, some of the Psalms are saying that kind of thing. So here, this could be like, you know what? We need to be into this Psalm right now because we're obviously under God's discipline, right? Over in Babylon. And Lord, we want you to send us back to Jerusalem and please rebuild the walls, okay? so that we can actually offer sacrifices again to you because right now there's not a temple. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it, okay? That's one way to read that. Do y'all see that kind of at the end there that it's kind of like a postscript that was added later by exiles. The other way to read this is that David is speaking in terms of the walls of Jerusalem are not, the, are not literal physical walls, but righteousness, right, of God's people. Um, as Christians, of course, we're not concerned with the physical space of Jerusalem per se. Um, ultimately, we're more concerned about the walls of um, and, and the, 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 the foundation uh, built on Jesus, right? Okay. So that's a couple ways to read the close here. Uh, does that make sense? Anyway, that's the way that closes. Do y'all have questions about that? Okay, so circling back around a big picture. When we sin, what is Psalm 51 teaching us? We need to be serious about confession and repentance, right? Number two, is this only a, a, an odd extreme application for David and people like David who commit, you know, adultery and murder and intrigue and collusion and all this kind of stuff? What do y'all think? No, because among other things, by the way, David is saying, we're all sinners, right? We're all born into sin and we all commit sin. And sin um, is something that separates us from God. Now we can trust in Jesus, right? And his ultimate sacrifice for us. Because by the way, like I said, in the Old Testament law, there's no sacrifice for the stuff that David has done, right? In the New Testament, is there a sacrifice that is fully sufficient for this? Yeah, right? Jesus on the cross. But does that then exempt us from needing to be repentant? No, 
because the whole New Testament is talking about real faith, saving faith is always repentant faith, right? Repent and believe, right? Repent and follow. So anyway, powerful message from Psalm 51. Um, you guys are pretty quiet right now. Any final thoughts as we wrap up on Psalm 51? Have you learned about praying a little bit more? Um, you know a psalm to go to when you need to pray in confession, right? Um, you don't have, of course, ultimately, you don't have to be this profuse. You remember Jesus talks about the tax collector who beats his breast and says, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. That's a contrite heart, according to Jesus. That guy in that case is a contrite heart. Um, and God hears him and forgives him. Uh, on Zoom, any questions? De uh, yeah, Bruce, go ahead. I need you to unmute. Uh, twice you used the descriptor grave sinner. Yes. Based upon what David did, I would view that as a mortal sinner. Am I wrong? Yes. Or yeah. That's synonymous synonymous concept yeah it would be now yeah the one thing I, bruce is asking about would you call this mortal sin um a couple of things on yeah you could broadly speaking now clarification in the roman catholic theology there's um mortal sin the you know, category of mortal sin we don't follow that with the protestant tradition right. per se but yes this is i mean this is oh this is a whole nother study but y'all know there are different levels of sin, right? In the Bible, right? I mean, there are different levels of sin. So anyway, but yeah, this is this is about. I mean, David is is pretty extreme here, Bruce. Yeah. Right. Okay. Good question. All right. Well, let's wrap up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, we pray for um, Brittany McAfee and her mother Charlotte. Uh, Lord, we pray for your grace and presence and healing purposes. We pray that you would be with all others who need your help right now. Be with the folks in Central America, Lord, dealing with this uh, Hurricane Iota. Lord, be with them. Uh, Lord, help us to serve your purposes. Thank you, Lord, for the grace and invitation to serious prayer that you, Lord, offer us and that we in Jesus can approach by his blood. We can approach in confidence your throne of mercy and pray, Lord, um, in a way just like David did. But Lord, even beyond David, to know Jesus, that Jesus has come, that Jesus has died, that Jesus is at your right hand interceding for us. We give thanks for that good news. But Lord, call us to be serious about our sin, your holiness, and our need for, um, Lord, new hearts from you, creating us a clean heart, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank y'all. Yeah, Thank thanks. you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark.